Hello and welcome to episode one of the MTG Collection Builder podcast, a podcast about managing your Magic the Gathering collection. I'm Brian, the lead and currently only developer of mtgcollectionbuilder.com, and in this podcast we're going to cover lots of topics, including magic news relevant to collectors, interesting pieces of lore and history about magic cards and their collection, and advice on how to manage and grow your own collection. If you haven't heard of mtgcollectionbuilder.com, it's a website where you can track your Magic the Gathering collection and how much it's worth. I originally built the website when I was coming out of college with my computer science degree because I was looking for a tool to tell me how much my collection was worth and specifically to show progress bars for each set so I would know how close I were to completing it and how much money it would cost me to complete a particular set. Well, I built the site mostly for myself at first. Next thing I know, looking at it today, I'm, I'm about to hit 30,000 users, which is super awesome and super humbling. I just wanted to thank you guys for all of the advice you've given me over the years and all of the awesome feedback. I've had a lot of users ask me how they can support the site, and I'm happy to announce that by the time you're listening to this podcast, my Patreon will be live. If you haven't heard of Patreon, it's similar to Kickstarter where you can support a project that you like, but it's more for episodic content or for ongoing content instead of a one-time huge lump sum for something that you may or may not get after 18 months. If you're interested in supporting the site on Patreon, you get access to perks like having ads removed, access to polls and monthly giveaways, all sorts of stuff. So feel free to check it out at patreon.com slash mtg collection builder and without further ado let's move on to the main part of the episode the general format for these episodes is going to be we're going to talk about news then the card of the week and then the main topic of the week which is collecting magic i figured we may as well start at the beginning and talk about collecting as a concept we'll be covering reasons to collect and strategies for growing and managing your collection at a high level Starting with the news, we're going to talk about Theros Beyond Death. It's a new set that was recently released by Wizards of the Coast and introduces a total of 357 new card printings. Now, bear with me here. Wizards has really increased the complexity of how to collect every card in a set because there's many different sources of some of the cards. So here we go. The set has 357 total new card printings. The first 254 cards come from booster packs like you expect, and they're numbered 1 through 254. After that, you have a buy a box promo, which you can only get by pre-ordering a box at your local game store. Although that's not exactly true, you actually have a chance of getting buy a box promos from one of the card slots in the collector booster. Next, you have bundle promos, which come from bundles, which were previously known as fat packs. Then you have borderless planeswalkers, which you have a chance of getting them in a regular booster pack, but they primarily come from collector booster packs. Then you have the showcase cards which you have a chance of getting in regular booster packs, and you also are more likely to get them in collector booster packs. They're the Constellation-style cards of the set. Then you have the Planeswalker deck cards, which only come from the Planeswalker decks. Then you have rares that only come from themed boosters for Theros Beyond Death. Then you have extended artwork cards, which are only available in collector boosters, unlike the other promos, which come from both regular booster packs and collector boosters. Then you have the five F&M-style cards that come from the Theros Beyond Death promo packs, that are given to game stores as prize support. Then you have the 14 tokens in the main set. Then you have foil double-sided tokens that only come from collector boosters. And finally, in addition to all of this, you have pre-release promos, which can be any rare or mythic from the main set. And that's available from the pre-release kit. So as you can see, there are a lot of different sources for the unique printings of cards from Theros Beyond Death, but I personally wouldn't sweat it. Just collect the first 254 cards if that's your thing. And I wouldn't worry too much about the promos unless there's one you really love for a deck of some sort. Next in the news, Wizards of the Coast has announced the 2020 Player Tour Qualifier promos for this year. They are printing three cards, including Cryptic Command, Surgical Extraction, and Aether Vial. 
Either viral in particular has people pretty excited since it features new art. And that's it for that news item. The next one is that promo packs can now include non-standard cards. Wizards of the Coast on January 15th announced this, and basically, starting with the Theros Beyond Death promo pack, they're going to include some non-standard legal cards in the promo packs, focused on Commander. They'll probably still have the Planeswalker symbol stamp on the bottom left, but I'll confirm this. But if they do, this would make them new, unique printings, even if they continue to reuse the set symbol from the set that the card originated from. Next in the news, there we had a pretty big wave of modern bands, specifically Oko, Thief of Crowns, Mox Opal, and Michael Synth's Lattice were banned in modern on the January 13th. And why does this matter? It matters to collectors because bands directly affect the value of cards. Some people go into collecting from a investment mindset, while others like to jump on cards when they drop in value to add them to their collection. So particularly Mox Opal I've seen dropping in price quite a bit, and so has Oko, Thief of Crowns. But you might want to sit and wait until the prices bottom out on all of these cards, because they're not banned in all formats, and hop on them when it's right for you. And the last news item is that a new Secret Layer Drop series has been announced called Year of the Rat. If you haven't heard of the Secret Layer Drop series, it's a way of wizards basically selling single straight to consumers. They make them available for only a 24-hour period, but they guarantee unlimited quantities. They basically print on demand. And for the Year of the Rat, it's going to include eight total cards, including foil alternate art versions of Marrow Pack Rat, and Ink Eyes, Servant of Oni, along with five rat colonies. It also includes one code for a card sleeve based on the Secret Lair Drop series for Magic the Gathering Arena. And now let's move on to talking about the card of the week. The card of the week this week is Giant Spider. Now, bear with me here. If you know what the card is, I'm not going crazy. If you don't know, Giant Spider is three and a green, so a total of four mana for a creature spider with reach, meaning it can block creatures with flying, and it has a power of two and a toughness of four. So why am I talking about Giant Spider? It's just a trash common from draft that you'll play sometimes, right? Well, yes and no. Giant Spider is actually a really special card to me, and I think it should be to other collectors too. It's the only card that's been printed in every core set from Alpha to Magic 2012 with no breaks whatsoever, excluding things like Basic Lands maybe. It actually caused a big stir when it wasn't reprinted for a little bit, although it's back in rotation now. And I don't think I can underscore the uniqueness of this enough. From Magic's first set, Alpha, in 1993 to today, Giant Spider has seen 28 unique printings, which I think speaks a lot about the card itself. It's been very solid in every draft format it's been in. I'm always happy to have one or two of these in my green deck. And very importantly, it solidified green's color identity as being the best color for dealing with flyers, despite not having very many of their own. And I think this should be exciting for collectors in general, since you can actually own an Alpha Edition Giant Spider for about $15 to $25 in really good condition. And if you're interested in learning about the older cards, I recommend buying an Alpha and a Beta version of this card, which they're actually my first Alpha and Beta purchases, because it lets you learn the difference in the border cuts between Alpha and Beta, so you can tell them apart. Alpha has more of a sloped and less sharp border cut than Beta, and the set's moving beyond that. And I really recommend you check it out if you're interested at all in owning a piece of limited edition alpha, which is, I think, a really cool piece in any collector's collection. And that's the card of the week, Giant Spider. And now let's move on to the main topic of the week, collecting magic. So why would anyone want to collect magic cards? I think the answer to this question really depends on your background as a magic player, whether you're just a casual kitchen table magic player from high school or middle school, whether you've gotten into the hobby more recently, whether you currently play or don't play, whether you play constructed formats, limited formats, 
or a mix of both. These are all factors in your decision to collect magic, but these are my thoughts on why someone might want to collect magic. One of the first reasons to collect magic, and my personal favorite, is to actually play the game. I, I know it's obvious, but still. Collecting can support both constructed and limited styles of play. So if you play a lot of Commander or Modern, you can gear your collection goals toward acquiring enough cards to build a variety of Modern and Commander decks that appease you as a player, and to let you keep up with the meta as well. I think a great long-term goal for a group of Magic players that really enjoys a particular constructed format is to collect enough cards so you can build a gauntlet of all of the top decks in the metagame, and then you can play them against each other with really easy access to them that pre-built, and you can really master your particular meta before going into a tournament. If you're more of a limited player like myself, collecting Magic cards in order to build your own draft cube is pretty fun. If you haven't heard of a draft cube, it's where you collect four of each common and uncommon, and one of each rare and mythic, and then you use this collection to rebuild booster packs by randomly distributing ten commons, three uncommons, and one rare or mythic. In this manner, you can draft any limited format you want. For example, Innistrad is often hailed as one of the best draft formats of all time, but if you wanted to buy a box of it today, it's very expensive. If you instead take your money and invest in building a draft cube, not only will you have a complete playset, of most of the cards in Innistrad, you'll be able to draft it with your friends for free or play sealed as often as you want. And this is my personal collection goal is to collect draft cubes of every format that is known to be good for drafting. So aside from playing with your magic cards, for some people, the main goal of collecting magic is sort of as a fun investment, a little side investment hobby. Many magic cards do appreciate in value over time. There are passionate communities online, including the MTG Finance subreddit, MTG Stocks, all of the followers of Rudy from Alpha Investments. And it can be a fun part of the game where you speculate on which cards will be worth more than others. And as they change value over time, you buy or sell them, and that can kind of fuel building your collection over time. Many cards do depreciate too when they rotate out of a format or a band, so these are both risks and opportunities. I like to buy cards once they rotate out of standard if I'm missing them in my collection, and I recommend other collectors do the same. The last reason I can think of this one of my collect magic cards is just for collecting sake. The same thing that would drive a stamp or coin collector. You can have a really interesting glimpse into magic history on visual display to talk about with others and to just enjoy. Everyone has different collection goals. Some collect a particular niche, like collecting every blue dragon or every printing of lightning bolt. I've seen some really cool collection goals on Reddit, and those are totally awesome. Some collecting goals may be broader too, like collecting one of every regular non-promo printing of a card, which can get pretty expensive once you get down to alpha, but it can, it can be a fun thing to strive for as well. And there's really a great joy in having a nicely organized and displayed collection. The difference between having your collection in a bunch of organized folders or framed, I've seen some Power Nines framed, which looks amazing, versus having a pile of cards all over your desks and closets and beds, I've seen that too. It's night and day. Like You want to have mastery over your collection, both knowing its contents, where particular cards are, and also having them nicely displayed. They can become a decorative art piece in a game room. And while there are probably others, those are the main reasons I can think of for collecting cards, either to play them as side investments, or to just enjoy having a collection in and of itself. So let's say I've talked you into collecting, or you already had your mindset, you wanted to collect cards, or you already collect them. How should you go about collecting magic cards? What's, what are different strategies you can employ? There are quite a few options, but the first one that comes to mind, and my definite favorite, is to play booster draft. 
If you don't know what a booster draft is, you basically go into your local game store or you buy a box with friends. You each take three packs out of the booster box. You open the first pack, you pick the best card out of that pack, put it face down in front of you, and then you pass the pack to the left, and you repeat this for every pack, changing directions as you go. And by the end of it, you're going to have a pile of cards with which you build a deck and you participate in a tournament, which is most often three rounds of best of three matches. And if you do this at a game store, you're going to get access to prizing. So it actually helps subsidize the cost of buying the booster packs and gets you access to F&M promos. That stands for Friday Night Magic, if you weren't aware. And the cool thing about Booster Draft is that it's a pretty affordable way of collecting cards while playing the game, which really makes it worth it. For about $12 or $15, you can enter to a Booster Draft. Any prizing you get helps offset that cost. Plus, you do get the now and then you'll open a bomb mythic rare that's worth $20 or $30 in standard, which really helps offset it even more if you choose to sell it now and then buy it back once standard rotates, assuming it doesn't see play in modern or something like that. And if you've never played Booster Draft, lots of professional players agree with me that it's the most fun way of playing Magic, and you can get really good at it by listening to another podcast called Limited Resources. I've listened to them for a very long time, and it, it turned me from a newbie player to the one of the last bosses at my local game store. Really awesome bunch of guys. You should definitely check them out at lrcast.com. Another very popular way of collecting Magic cards is to just buy booster boxes, booster packs, or sometimes cases of booster boxes, and... I know it can be fun to open a, a booster pack of random cards, but I really feel strongly that you should play any booster packs you have, either in a draft or a sealed, because I think the cost can get really out of hand, and statistically you are going to lose money most of the time. It can be fun, and I don't blame you if you get a booster pack from winning a tournament and you want to just open it. That's cool. But I, to open boxes and boxes and boxes of cards... It gives you no agency over what cards you get, and while the gambling high can be fun at first, I think in the long run it's kind of depressing. But if that's your thing, go for it. The last way you can contribute to your collection is by buying specific cards you want on sites like TCG Player, Magic Card Market, wherever you choose to buy Magic cards, your local game store, of course. And it's actually very economical to buy four of each common and uncommon for most sets, and you can really get most of Magic pretty cheap nowadays. Rares, Mythics, and some promos will be more expensive depending on whether or not they see play in Eternal formats, but you can be strategic about when you buy them, when they either drop in value, or if you know that they're only going to keep going up forever, maybe pull the trigger and buy it now if that's the card you're looking for. But the point here is that if you have a choice between buying a booster box of a set or just buying specific cards from the set, you're going to come out ahead buying specific cards from the set statistically basically every time. I highly advise you to buy cards you want for collecting directly instead of gambling on booster boxes and booster packs. And that just about wraps up the episode. So thank you for joining me for this episode of MTG Collection Builder Podcast. And if you have any suggestions for either the podcast or the website, feel free to reach out to me either via email at brian at mtgcb.com, via Facebook where I'm MTG Collection Builder, or via Twitter where I'm at mtg underscore cb. If you want to support the website or the podcast, feel free to head over to patreon.com slash mtgcollectionbuilder and check out all the pledge levels. You can get access to monthly giveaways, exclusive updates, removal of ads for your account, and much more. Thanks, and I'll see you guys next time. Hey, is this thing still on? Good. This is a little bonus segment I have at the end of the show where I can talk about anything I feel like, no restriction, no editing, unless I do something egregious and have to re-record, but you know how that goes. 
And today I wanted to really take a moment to thank the MTG CB community for all of the great feedback and kindness and support and advice I've gotten over the years, especially with our patients. I do work full time as a software engineer and MTG CB is like my main side project. Sometimes life does get in the way. Last year, 2019, I moved twice in six months and I had a huge career change and opportunity that I went for and it's been awesome. And it's taken me some time to settle in. I'm settled in now and I'm shooting to get a beta of the next version of the website in your guys' hands as soon as I can, hopefully later this year. The biggest features that I'm looking forward to releasing are support for tokens, support for foreign cards, support for custom collection goals, and support for magic card market so our European users can finally get access to some of the tools that the TCG player users haven't had access to all this time. And I'm really excited for that. So. For those of you that have been with me since the beginning, back when the website just lets you upload a spreadsheet, thank you for encouraging me to keep pushing forward with the site and making it better and better. And I look forward to showing you guys what, what's next to come. Thank you. Also, totally unrelated to the website, but if you haven't checked out the game Slay the Spire yet on Steam or Switch now, it's really awesome. It's a deck building game, and I think a lot of Magic players would enjoy it. Defect for life.